This is the Balanced Artist Podcast, where we help the purpose-driven creator's journey suck a little less and thrive a little more. Hosted by award-winning musician, TEDx speaker, and comedian, Rory Gardner. Who? We chat with experts who help level up your creative career by reframing your lifestyle as a balanced artist. Hello and welcome back to the Balanced Artist Podcast. Today we have author Lisa Skinner of Truth, Lies, and Alzheimer's. We got together, we got we got introduced by the her publicist uh, who knows Phil Vassar, which is a country singer, which uh, I've always been a fan of, and apparently Phil's mom had Alzheimer's. All right, and so Phil is on... Uh, a different episode. We talked to both of them basically at the beginning. And then I'm like, these conversations are so uh, different. Like why not split it into two episodes, right? I didn't know anything about Alzheimer's before having this conversation. So I didn't know how to spell Alzheimer's before having this conversation. Is there like a silent H in there? I don't There's an apostrophe S. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I don't know how it goes, but, uh, it was a great conversation. Lisa knows a lot about this kind of stuff. You know, I wanted to ask, what are some signs? Like, how do you know? Like, everyone's crazy when they get older. How do you know if it's Alzheimer's or whether it's just, you know, aging crazy or whatever the medical term is for that kind of thing? Uh, can it be prevented? Like, what are some signs? I discovered through research that Viagra contains something called Cytophil, which apparently can reduce Alzheimer's up to 70%. She didn't know that probably because I go to different websites than she does and do my own research. Like, why would she research that uh, if she doesn't? Anyway, so uh, it's good. I mean, I figure, like, with most things, when you're trying to, like, overcome an ailment, you got to be healthy. You got to wear, you got to eat vegetables. You got to have to eat healthy or you have to reduce inflammation. But you're allowed to have Viagra if you want to. Like, that's amazing. You can have fun. There's disadvantages. You you could, you can't wear loose clothing in public, I suppose, or you'd be knocking things over around the house, I guess, off tables. And anyway, this is a great conversation. Lisa is a lovely lady. We had a great conversation. And in the episode, she uh, tells you where you can find her um, her book. And uh, she's got an Audible version. So if you want to go listen to it on Audible, you can do that too. We'll put all the links to all the, um, the book and everything else in the show notes. I hope you learned as much in this episode as I did. I, I, I came in with no idea. And now... I have some idea. So here we are. Enjoy my conversation with Lisa. I actually have been working in this industry as a behavior specialist for nearly 30 years now. And my very first experience with Alzheimer's disease was when my grandmother started showing some very unusual and bizarre behaviors back when I was a teenager. I would go visit her. She would tell me there were birds living in her mattress and coming out at night and pecking at her face. Rats were invading her home. People were stealing her jewelry. I mean, all the classic behaviors that you see with dementia. Um, And it varies from person to person. And she was just showing the gamut of the worst, the hallucinations, the delusions, the paranoia. And so that experience really stuck with me my entire life. 
And then since my grandmother, I've had seven other family members suffer from one of the brain diseases that causes dementia. There are over a hundred of them. Is this a hereditary thing or is it more of a, just a age? Age is the number one risk factor for developing Alzheimer's disease, but there is a genetic form of it. It's called early onset Alzheimer's disease. Uh, So if you carry the gene, you're still about 50% at risk of developing it. So just because you carry the gene for early onset does not necessarily mean you will develop it, but it does tend to run in families. What would be an age for early onset average? As young as, um, well, I would say on the average, it probably shows up in the fifties. So anybody who develops Alzheimer's disease before the age of 65, it's typically your early onset type of Alzheimer's disease because our traditional, the one that's most common is um, just regular Alzheimer's disease. And that typically starts to show up starting at age 65. And then every five years after the age of 65, a person's risk of developing it doubles So by the time a person is 85 years old, one in three people has it. Do you, so what what would be like a sign? Because everyone thinks their parents are crazy already. So, you know, what what would be a tell uh, that possibly someone would have it? That's a really interesting question. And in the beginning stages, it's very difficult to differentiate between something as serious as Alzheimer's disease or one of the other brain diseases and just the normal aging process. Because in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's disease, the signs are very subtle. Most doctors are not able to to make a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease until a person is well into their mid stage. And it can take years, up to like 10 years, they can live with the the subtle signs before it really becomes blatantly obvious that there's something more serious going on. So to answer your question, if a family member or anybody is noticing signs or behaviors that disrupt a person's ability to perform normal uh, activities of daily living, then it's typically more serious than just forgetting where you set your keys or your sun, your glasses might be on top of your head. There is no cure. There is no going, getting better. There's something called mild cognitive impairment, and it's worse than just the normal aging process, but it's not as bad. People are still pretty highly functioning. Most people who develop mild cognitive impairment, it does progress to Alzheimer's disease, but not 100% of the people who develop mild cognitive impairment do. Is there preventative measures for this? Like, is it more onset if you have, you know, healthy lifestyle, like your diet might've had uh, more uh, uh, contributed to more brain function than there absolutely is. So let me tell you really quickly, there are 
a number of risk factors that play into whether or not somebody will be at an, an increased risk of developing Alzheimer's. There are several what we call non-modifiable risk factors. Age is one of those. Gender is another one. Females tend to um, be more at risk of developing Alzheimer's disease than men. Not exactly sure why. Doctors aren't exactly sure why. Uh, they believe it's because women live longer than men. Ethnicity plays a role and you can't do anything about your ethnicity. So there are some ethnic backgrounds that are at a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease than others. So we can't do anything about those non-modifiable risk factors. So if you're 65 years old, you're a female and you're one of the and you're one of the ethnic groups that is at higher risk. There's three risk factors going against you right there. You were telling me that like puzzles, learning a language, learning an instrument are uh, great ways to prevent Alzheimer's. It's basically just continuous learning is, is essentially the, the commonality between all those things. Is that right? That's correct. And there are many, many studies that um, have kind of substantiated that um, keeping your brain very active and having to really think some, anything that really forces you to think stimulates your, your brain activity and will reduce your risk, not prevent, um, well, so do you find that these- like, people that already do it, like we we just talked to Phil about musicians for the last half an hour. Do you, do you find that he would be a, a, is it like almost increasing his Alzheimer's immune system by being a creative person already? I would say that that would help reduce his risk, but you have to really take all the other factors into consideration because the more things that you have, piling up against you, the greater your risk is going to be. Now, with the the reason why we call um, some of them modifiable and some of them non-modifiable is because the ones like I just mentioned, your cardiovascular disease, your diabetes, your sleep apnea, your hearing loss also is a contributor to developing Alzheimer's disease, your diet, your exercise habits, Any of these things that are being managed through treatment or just by implementing into your lifestyle will negate that from being a higher risk factor for you. So generally it's the same as as most disease where it's just if you you have a general healthy lifestyle as it is, uh, not a lot of carcinogens in your diet, uh, you eat a vegetable from time to time, it just, uh, it's not going to prevent it, but it might help. mitigate? There's absolutely nothing, unfortunately, and this is a really sad part that will prevent anybody from developing Alzheimer's disease. Let me throw this at you because I I read it recently and I thought it was uh, a fun, interesting fact is apparently Viagra uh, can reduce the risk of Alzheimer's up to 70%. I'm not familiar with that. Obviously, it jumped out at me. It contains this thing called Seidenfil. <laughs> I'm not yeah. a scientist, but apparently it's... Uh, and a lot that of is not something that I am aware of. 
but I am aware that there's absolutely nothing that will definitively prevent somebody from developing it. And the only thing that we can do is try our best to implement the things that we know that will lower our risk and hope that it skips you. But I honestly, Rory, have known so many people, just brilliant people, scientists and, and, and lawyers and doctors and uh, who have healthy lifestyles and they just seem to do everything right and they still develop Alzheimer's disease. Right. Well, and the other thing too, that a lot of people aren't aware of is it's actually very common for a person to be suffering from more than one brain disease at the same time. So that said, somebody can have Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, all going on at the same time. So you've got three brain diseases actively damaging your brain, and each one of them attacks a different part of the brain. Uh, and that's actually very common. It's called mixed dementia. And many people weren't are not aware that this is common in people, but it actually is very common to, to be suffering from mixed dementia, not just one or the other. It makes sense. I mean... First of all, I don't know why I learned about this Viagra thing and you didn't. Maybe I frequent different websites than you do. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> the case. Um, I'm looking at the anyway, but it's uh, I, I heard when you have Alzheimer's, it's like you're basically losing a loved one twice. First time is because they don't know who the heck you are for the last 10 or 15 years of their life. And then obviously they're their ultimate. Um, one of the misconceptions that I do like to kind of bring to people's attention is yes, that is very true. You, you do lose your loved one twice because when they're declining, they pretty much become somebody you don't recognize, mm -hmm. but they still are a very feeling, caring, loving person inside but it's not as noticeable because it's very difficult for them to articulate things the way they did when their brains were healthy, but they're in there, they're in there. And that's what Doug and I teach. Uh, and it talks about it in the book. And a lot of people, I mean, I've had a lot of people uh, refer to their loved one as, well, they're not there anymore. What difference does it make? No, they are there. They are there. And trust me on that. They are there and there are a lot of ways to draw their subconscious, their their souls out of them like you knew them before, but it takes some doing and it takes uh, knowing what to do. I feel the same way when I get dragged to a party I don't want to be at. Like people know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm there, but like I have dead eyes and like I'm, in the back of my head, I don't want to be there. Yeah, I can relate to that. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> totally. So we've established that uh, there is nothing we can do to prevent it, but healthy lifestyle will will help. Uh, I don't know, maybe slow down the process and and uh, and mitigate some of the uh, the symptoms. Like, why did you write the book? Is it to to teach people of Alzheimer's or to share your journey with your loved ones that experienced it? 
This is my second book. My first one I wrote, I published in 2015. It was a award-winning two times best-selling book. This is the second one. Um, Doug ended up co-writing it with me. And I would say, I mentioned earlier, I've been um, counseling families for nearly 30 years on this topic. I haven't seen a whole lot change in that period of time until COVID. And now uh, for the first time in decades, I'm finally seeing people a little bit more willing to talk about it and acknowledge that it exists. And the numbers, the statistics are so compelling of how many people are going to develop this disease worldwide in the by the year 2050, they're projected to almost triple from the numbers of people who um, live with it today that I have dedicated my life to raising awareness because we're not prepared for the onslaught of people that will be developing this disease in the next 25, 30 years, not prepared at all. People still, um, don't understand the disease and they don't understand that people can live meaningful, fulfilling lives with this disease and that there are specialized skills that you need to know. Um, we're seeing a huge shift in the way people care for their loved ones with this disease since COVID because of what happened in nursing homes and assisted living and memory care during COVID. Was there something about COVID that maybe triggered, uh, tr triggered some sort of a, 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 not Alzheimer's, but like maybe just people became more aware of it because they were less distracted in their own lives that they saw the symptoms in their loved ones or. Oh, well, it was all over the news. How many elderly people, Elderly people and pe elderly people who suffer from Alzheimer's disease were dying in these homes because of the spread of the disease. But how? But what's the correlation between COVID and Alzheimer's? I don't understand the. Uh... They locked down the facilities so family members could not go in and visit. A lot of these people living there passed away. The number one impact on people living in these homes was loneliness and isolation. And they died, literally died alone because they the um, companies couldn't allow because of the spread. But one of the reasons why it spread um, so profusely in environments where there were people living with Alzheimer's disease and dementia is because it's very difficult to get somebody with dementia to understand the concept of wearing a mask or keeping six feet apart and socially distancing, that was nearly impossible. So it spread even more in these environments because it was so difficult to practice this, the safe things that they were asking us to do. And that was another reason why they didn't allow family members to go in. So that, that disease, COVID-19, had a huge impact on the elderly population and even more so on those suffering from Alzheimer's disease and dementia. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, yeah, I didn't look at it from that perspective before. 
uh, and also them not knowing how to keep six feet away. I have kids in grade school. I know exactly how difficult yeah. it is to tell them to wear a mask or whatever. Yeah. But um, that's unfortunate. Now things have opened back up. What I'm gathering from that is a family member with Alzheimer's. Like the best thing you could do is kind of keep a bit of a routine and maintain those those relationships so that they could have some sort of consistency. Yes. Yeah. They, they do much, much better in a structured environment and things that are familiar to them because the brain just is not um, functioning the way it did. They lose their ability to use their judgment. They uh, lose their ability to reason things out. It gets to the point where they are reacting to things based on how they feel emotionally versus logically, all of that is damaged and goes away. So what they're left with is the instinctive fight or flight um, kind of responses. So they're either going to want to try to get away from whatever the situation is that's making them feel uncomfortable or angry, or they're going to want to fight um, the situation. And that's why all these behaviors show up. But really what it is that they're trying to do is communicate to you that they have a want or a need, but they can't, they no longer can articulate that want or their need. So, so it manifests in other ways. And that's through behaviors, agitation, aggression, you name it. There are so many and this is also what Doug and I teach is how to recognize those behaviors and then basically figure out what triggered them and what the person living with the dementia is really trying to tell you. It's up to us to, to decode that. Very interesting. So if people wanted to, I mean, again, people only really seek this out when there it's needed like if, if people had more questions or if people wanted to learn more or if people wanted to uh, seek out your your advice or services where would they find you so we have a website called it's the same name as the book take off its secret faces so it's www.truthliesalzheimers.com and um, it's a really robust uh, website so you can purchase the books through them. Oh, we just released an audio book um, week before last that is phenomenal. So for anybody who really enjoys listening to an audio book, that's available now. You can get it on Amazon. And, uh, did Barnes you narrate it yourself or was that, did you hire a, a narrator? Doug and I chose, um, our publisher provided us with samples of about a dozen different narrators and we listened to them independently and we both chose the same one. She did such an amazing job. So uh, anyway, that's, yeah. That's so great because I've, I've, yeah, I've heard people who do it themselves and it's like a, it's a daunting task. Like it takes a way longer than you think. And it's a, it is a daunting task. Right, yeah. right. May as well pay a pro. All right. So truth lies and Alzheimer's can be found on Amazon and audible.com, I suppose. Right. Yes. Yes. Right on. Thanks for talking to me about this. I learned a lot about Alzheimer's. I had no previous knowledge about it. So this has been oh. enlightening. Yeah, it's uh it's it's a fascinating topic. And a lot of the things that um we talk about in the book and uh on the website, a lot of this information people 
have never heard of before. There's a lot to know. It's a very complicated illness. So I'm glad that, um, you know, you, you learned more than you did before we had our conversation. I did. I, I wanted to uh, come prepared and it's, uh, it, it's been enlightening. So again, thanks for coming on and talking to me today. Thank you so much for having me and, and supporting um, raising awareness about the, uh, the topic because uh, it's very serious and, and it's overwhelming for families. Best of luck in, in the rest of your uh, promotional journey on this book and hopefully uh, uh, people can benefit from it. Thanks again, Rory. Take good care. That's all we've got for this episode of the podcast. We have new shows every week. So remember to hit subscribe and share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from becoming a balanced artist.